Welcome to the first ever T-Tech podcast. That is the truth about cars. This is our first episode of our very first podcast, or at least our first uh, in a long time. Um, anyway, I'm here. I'm Tim Healy. I'm the managing editor of the truth about cars, and I'm here with Matt Plosky and Matthew Guy, our news contributors, and we are going to be talking about two different things today. We're going to have three quick segments for you. First up will be a hot story in the news of the past week or so, which is the, the admin study that showed that about 82% of new car buyers paid over MSRP on their average transaction price. And then we're going to talk about the 22, excuse me, the 2022 Subaru WRX and how we'd spec ours if we were going to buy one. And then we will finish with the best cars of 1992 since it's been 30 years since, since that year. And we wanted to kind of talk about the cars that we grew up with uh, back then. So kind of to get, get us started, as we've seen, as we mentioned just now, or as I mentioned just now, we've seen uh, this Edmunds.com story that is showing that 82% of new car buyers have paid over MSRP for their average transaction price. And that's insane to me. And I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, um, either one of you want to go first? Um, yeah, we can. Uh, what was it, 80% of new car buyers? Yeah. 82%. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just, that's the situation we're in like it seems sort of uh ill-advised but i understand that certain people like need a new car like i'm shopping for another car right now and i mean i'm putting it off as long as i can but you know if we're in the same situation in another year like i won't have an option i'll have to figure something out yeah and can you imagine if you've been out of the market for a few years right mm-hmm. and not really paying attention and suddenly need to buy a car right now for whatever reason there's you aren't reason. watching the news and you just walked onto a lot <laughs> there's going to be some sticker shock for sure yeah yeah i hit up uh i hit up a toyota dealership and they had some new and used stuff and everything was i, I just talking to the guy it was it was absolutely outrageous and um uh, also like related to the the edmunds edmunds release they were talking about used cars um are up uh 30 year over year uh, in 2021, which is actually low. Like a lot of the other outlets are saying, oh no, it's like closer to 40%. Um, wow. Regardless, like used cars are like averaging around like 30 grand, which is also super duper wild. So there is no real, uh, there's no good out for a lot of people. Like you can't just go to the used market anymore. Yeah, and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Because if there's a shortage on new cars, people will turn to used, which drives up the prices there and, the cycle continues. And it's interesting that um, you mentioned Toyota because that Edmonds report says that on average, um, the average markup was just over a thousand bucks. So you saw that in real life. Did you? Yeah. Firsthand. Wow. (laughs) At least, at least a thousand bucks uh, at that particular dealership. Um, Yeah. I was looking specifically at uh, um, the RAV4s because that was kind of that and Camry's was all they had in any kind of, uh, you know, real numbers. Wow, and it was it was just wild. Like everything was way too expensive. I just I just left. I was like, okay, well, okay, I'll, maybe I'll see you in a few months. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny you say a thousand bucks for Toyota. Looking at the um, looking at the list, it's actually they're kind of right around the middle of the pack with about a thousand dollar difference between average transaction price and MSRP. the The brand that has the highest difference is a little over four thousand dollars is Cadillac, which uh, not surprising with the popularity of the Escalade. And the uh, the Blackwing Twins, which you know, aren't going to be around super long, so I'm sure those are in high demand right now. Wait, Cadillac is the, has the highest? Cadillac has the highest, so $4,000 difference between ATP and MSRP. Mm. So $76,000 average MSRP and $80,000 average. Almost $80,000. That kind of surprises me, because I don't really know too many people who are, uh, like personal anyway, they're really hungry for a Cadillac right now. It makes you wonder how much of a markup there is on, like Tim said, the Escalades and the Blackwing, because surely they they are skewing that number a lot. That's That's honestly what I think, Uh, especially given the the lukewarm reviews of the other vehicles in the lineup. I think it's really the Blackwings and the Escalades. I don't think anyone's dying for a XT6 or CT5. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, (laughs) I also kind of wonder how much of this is sort of just like, I don't know, like the dealers are really going overboard. I mean, they're getting away with something right now that, you know, maybe, I mean, you can argue like, oh yeah, there's supply shortages. Like, you know, there's inventories or just, you know, they don't, they don't have enough cars, but um, you know, uh, dealers, especially big dealers, 
are really cleaning up. Like they, they made record profits last year. And um, I don't know. Some of this seems like it, it's a lot. A lot of it has to do with like a willingness for people to pay like more money than maybe they need to. Like, I mean, how many articles do you read where it's like, like I'm looking at one right now and it's like, uh, it's just a random story about this woman who paid uh, almost, almost 10 or a hundred thousand dollars for a RAV4 from this from last year and it's like who what may what would ever possess a person to do that well two things can be true i think in this case too it, it can be that there's a chip shortage and there are you know, there's a shortage of inventory but it also can be dealers uh taking extra advantage of the situation and being opportunistic i think both those things can be and probably are true in this particular case and just kind of circling back looking at the other brands that are doing particularly uh higher numbers the second brand on the list or second on top is land rover which a little surprising, but I think the Defender uh, is definitely popular. I know I've enjoyed driving both the ones that I've tested. Um, I'm probably driving that. And then I, I know we've kind of spoke, talked about this before, but Kia has a huge difference. Now, the good news with Kia is the ATP is still only $34,000. So, because obviously, you know, it's a mainstream brand with some lower, lower end vehicles, but uh, the difference is 22 grand or 2200, excuse me. And I think that difference is driven by the Telluride, which is extremely popular and, and I, i'm definitely a fan of that suv yeah you were saying that before and it was, I, I think i asked you before too like what you loved about it because i don't i don't i don't really get it but i haven't spent much time with the with the car i think it's the interior is, is really good it drives really well I, it's not quite as sexy looking as is this uh, twin the, or sibling the hyundai palisade which i think is more attractive styling inside and out mm-hmm. um, but the telluride just does everything really well and it's it's, it's priced well Along with the Palisade, the uh, the Ford Explorer, which is pretty decent in itself, costs a lot more to get similar equipment. And then uh, I think the, the the other vehicle in that class that sort of sticks sort of stands out to me is a Toyota Highlander. But the Highlander is just a little more boring, uh, frankly. Although the Highlander is quite good, it's not it's it's, it's within range of the Telluride and Palisade in terms of price. But uh, just kind of circling back to this list one more time, as we go to the other end, to go the other way, it's kind of funny to look at. Where there is not much of a difference. Chrysler and Subaru have under a thousand dollars. Chrysler's only four hundred dollar difference, and then uh, you know there's some that are actually below where the where the ATP is below MSRP, and that's Alfa Romeo, Lincoln, Volvo, BMW, Ram, and Mini. Ram is very surprising given how popular those trucks are and how well built mm-hmm. they are, but Alfa Romeo not so much. Uh, not shocked at all. See that that brand, which has some pretty sexy looking cars, but has a reputation for quality that. Uh, leaves a bit to be desired yeah i remember i saw one uh uh right when they kind of made the their you know return to the states i think i was at the new york auto show and um they had like a pretty small booth but like they were working on a car that was you know being displayed and i was like what could possibly have (laughs) broken on this car that doesn't need to run it just needs to sit there (laughs) they they do just have so much style all of them yeah but you're right you know you do have those challenges and it's tim it's interesting so the atp for kia is around 34.5 ish says Evans, and atp for cadillac was around 80 grand and the difference so if you look at the average market for cadillac that works out to about 4.5 percent of the average transaction price but the kia their prices are lower for sure almost a third but their difference is a lot more aggressive. It's around 6.6%. So as a percentage of um, actual average transaction price, they're, they're being even more aggressive than some of the other guys. Sure. <laughs> and there's definitely room. I mean, we've all seen the stories and we've all seen pictures online of, you know, you look at um, uh, someone has a picture of uh, whatever it might be. And there, there is the, the markup and then there's people adding three thousand dollars for pinstriping and then seventeen hundred dollars for low jack and stuff like that so those, those things all add up for sure one brand that surprises me that it's not actually higher on the list and maybe it's percentage it might be a little bit different um i haven't sat and done the math on that but ford is only 163 dollars over and with you would think with the bronco and the maverick it would be a lot higher than that but it's also you know a question of when these numbers yeah, next month's We're list is going to be interesting. Well. So, sorry, Matt, go ahead. Sorry, next month's list is going to be interesting for sure. Yes, for sure. 
Uh, yeah, because you would think with, with Ford having the, the Mach-E as well, you would think those three models uh, would definitely drive this list a little bit higher for Ford because they're, they're kind of on the lower end. Um, right about Buick, which is literally $17. So a fast food meal or two over, <laughs> you know, the difference there. That's pretty funny. Uh, and what it says about Buick probably is not good. And you said Lincoln was at the bottom, the very bottom? No, no. Lincoln's... um. Below, it's below by 500 bucks. So their their ATP is 500 below MSRP. Alfa Romeo is the lowest, under three grand or over three grand below. Excuse me. Uh, Volvo is in between the two at 800. Volvo and Lincoln are surprising to me because both their vehicles are. Yeah, Lincoln seems like they're only getting better like recently, whereas Cadillac does seems to be going the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. I didn't catch the first part about that. Say that again, please. I was just saying it's it's surprising that Lincoln's so low because it seems like their cars have only gotten better in recent years, whereas Cadillac is maybe going in the opposite direction. Yeah, that could be kind of how thing. I feel. That could be a reputation thing. That could be that people haven't caught up to the fact that Lincoln has improved his product. Uh, I could be you know something like that. It could just be the Cadillac and the Escalator just enough to make a huge difference. Yeah, how long we how long do they have left with the Escalade before it's going to be electric or? Uh, something totally mm-hmm. different. Something that's not going to make them any money. <laughs> oh, I think as long as it looks good, it'll make them money. As long as the range is decent and it looks good, it'll make them money. People aren't going to care what engines underneath it. That's all about looking good. That car. Yeah, you don't see. You know, you don't see it as much as you used to. Like I remember when the Escalade was synonymous with like high living. Like you'd see it in every rap video. Right. Like, and you don't really see it anymore. <laughs> Now that yeah, I watch a lot of rap like videos, the last few have been uh, loaded up with Bentleys. Yeah, I think the Bentley and, and maybe the Rolls Royce um, FTV kind of sort of um, maybe taking its place. And I think for a little while, and there's a G Wagon was sort of the, uh, the, the the rap video vehicle of choice. I forget it. I forget that the G Wagon exists. You know, you don't see it until you're in like uh, LA, and then you're like, oh yeah, yeah. G Wagon. Right. Never really see them around here, but in LA for sure. Okay, guys, our first segment's about to wrap up. Any final thoughts on this Edmonds story before we move on to talking Subaru? Stop paying too much for cars. <laughs> in about when, when we're doing this podcast in another the, the episode in two or three years' time, we're going to be talking about how far people are upside down on some of these cars when they go yeah. straight. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be twenty forty, and yeah. uh, there'll be horror stories about people who had to sell their house to like keep up with their car payments. <laughs> There's so much. There is going to be a lot of negative equity coming up, whether that's next year or the year after. The negative equity is going to show up at some point. I definitely tell people right now who aren't who are if they're asking what car I should they should buy, I say probably if you can if you can don't buy anything for six months or a year. Uh, wait till the chip shortage kind of calms down and this madness calms down, uh, however long it, that might take. And we're back on the Thought Cars podcast talking the 2022 Subaru WRX and how we'd spec one if we bought one. Uh, before we get into this discussion, just a little backstory here. As you as you know, probably the, the WRX is redesigned. It's a fifth generation vehicle and uh, this funky little sport compact car with all-wheel drive um, adds a new trim this year. It's called the GT trim and it's Unfortunately, available only with a CVT continuously variable automatic transmission, which Subaru calls the Subaru Performance Transmission. And obviously, this is an audio podcast, so you can't see it, but my eyes are rolling pretty hard at that. And then we'll talk about, you know, how we'd buy this particular vehicle. But enthusiasts, um, particularly save the manual enthusiasts, might be a little bit upset to see the top trim is CVT only. Um, I'll start here and say that my personal, you know, needs and wants, I would consider the limited which is the highest trim at WRX you can get with a manual, but uh, also the premium uh, might be a good way to get a manual and save a little bit of money. Looking at the limited, it has the higher, nicer audio, uh, blind spot detection, which I like for driving in urban traffic and nicer seats, but uh, the premium comes fairly well equipped and you don't have to sacrifice a whole hell of a lot for that. So Matt Posky and that guy, what do you guys think? Well, I, I don't know. Like I'm pretty prone to, thinking the WRX should be as simple and as stripped down as possible. But that was largely be- because I thought there were 
better cars kind of in the small fun car like area that did like luxury like comfort better like i sort of always thought about the wrx as you want something that's you know fairly basic that you can sling around in bad weather or good weather you know just just a fun car to to wail on but it never made sense to me to have it as a daily driver versus something like a like a gti the problem now is that the new gti doesn't look that good and honestly neither does the new wrx so i don't really know um, I haven't driven it. I don't, it has a lot of weird stuff that other people seem to like that I don't really understand. Like I don't get the weird cladding with the special pattern on the, the, the wheel wells that's supposed to break up air. Like I don't really like the big central touchscreen. Like they're trying to mainstream it. Um, but I know you guys think that, you know, more is better with the car and maybe, maybe it is maybe, you know, after sitting with, uh, the base model and then getting in one of the nicer ones uh i'll be proven wrong but yeah i don't know i don't i don't see the point of of optioning out a wrx um I, I see it almost exclusively as just like a fun car that you don't want anything extra in and you might as well save every penny you can on tires and stuff first tires and stuff later yes because you probably you probably need them being a being a wrx you probably need new tires soon you're gonna have at least two sets on the wrx (laughs) at least and don't forget your vaping and all that you know you need to to have extra batteries (laughs) (laughs) but that you've got a point because i mean that you know that big screen has popped up in a lot of new subarus and in the base model which is 29 105 you've got twin seven inch screens and and it takes a minute for my eyes to adjust to that Mm -hmm. but you know if that's if that's your bag that that that's a good argument to make the reason i do like the premium just because i am a type an annoying type a personality and the premium comes with the low profile spoiler on the back and fog lights up front the led fogs so for me that's that's where that's where my 2500 walk comes from mm-hmm. or maybe i'm better served just going to the parts department and getting them to bolt a <laughs> spoiler on but this you know for for 31605 that's still a pretty compelling still i think that's going to be their volume seller i really do um, yeah it doesn't it doesn't seem like a bad deal even though i i don't really get paying more it doesn't seem like it's you know criminally overpriced mm. um and according to the earlier conversation you might actually be able to find it for you know within a few thousand dollars of that price <laughs> I actually take back my thought on the limited because I just realized that there's a, a package for the premium that adds the Harman Kardon audio and the Power Moon Roof, which are the two things that made me really look at the limited. Um, yeah, outside of blind spot detection, which I could probably live without, and the nicer power seats, which I could also probably live without, the premium does kind of speak to me. Uh, and, and it's not it's not for it's not that I want to option things out and be coddled in a, you know, a sports car and an inexpensive sports sedan. There are certain things I like. Just being a snow belter, I prefer heated seats. Uh, I like the idea that the premium has dual USB ports, so a little more, if you have passengers, it's easier to charge your devices and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I believe, it doesn't say here in the release what level you need to have satellite radio, but I believe it might be in the base car. It is actually in the base car, so that's you don't need the premium for that. But I definitely think the heated having heated front seats makes the premium trim worth it right there. And then you can... Add the uh, high-end audio and the moonroof, which are things that I would like personally, without having to go all the way up to limited. So I'm starting to think the premium might really be the right spec for this vehicle. Yeah, and with the personality of Subaru, it's almost like you got to have heated seats and those types of things. Um, And it's not that I think save the manuals needs to be applied to everything, because I know that there are some really good automatics out there that can shift faster than i can uh, make better decisions than i can on on occasion and mm-hmm. right so there there is a place you know for for those but not on not to my mind on the wrx because it's just that type of of hooligan you know type of fun car that uh in rewards a bit of driver engagement and if i am a couple of clicks slower to in the quarter mile or zero to 60 or whatever with the with the manual i'd be okay with that in the wrx because of that extra level of driver engagement so i asked subaru about this when um they were finishing up uh the new generation 
yeah. because they were talking a lot about how they were going to be um, sprucing up the CVT and, you know, renaming it and everything else to make it seem cooler. And then I kind of asked them why, and they didn't really answer the question, but I found out that like uh, in the United States, it might've been all in North, North America, but um, they said half of all WRXs are ordered with a manual transmission, which huh. is huge. Like it's a huge uh, like take rate versus like every other car. So it really doesn't make sense to me why they would prioritize and put so much of their budget into sprucing up the CVT and then kind of making it like the only game in town for the higher trims. Like, I understand that maybe if you buy a car with a lot of, you know, nicer options, you're, you know, thinking about using it as a commuter car. So maybe manual transmission is not super duper important to you, but it, it really seemed weird to me to sort of like turn your back on it when you're your customers really love the manual transmission. Like I get it. Like not every car needs it. Some cars aren't better. I think last time we talked, I said that I like the GTI with the, with the dual clutch a lot more than the manual. Yeah. But um, I don't get it on the WRX. Not that I've driven a WRX that has a stellar manual transmission either. <laughs> it's just a more fun way to drive the car. Yeah. yeah and and yeah. I mean, exclusive to that GT are those new dampers, right? With the different, uh, with the different settings. And I think the GT own, I think it's only the GT that gets those Recaro branded seats. That's correct. Um, yeah. 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 And that would be, that would be, uh, that would be really, that would be interesting. Like those dampers, I'm, I'm excited to drive them back to back with them without the dampers, just to see how much difference it does make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one thing that makes me sad about the GT being, uh, CVT only, and I, I don't really want to call it the SPD. It's kind of silly. But, um, you know, those, those dampers, I think, could make the car a lot more fun to drive. And it, as you guys said, and I, I completely agree, it's, it's a much more engaging vehicle than manual. The last fourth generation WRX I drove was a manual, and it's not the best manual transmission out there in that class. I think the Honda is better than the Civic SI, and at least the most, at least the most recent generation SI. I've not driven a new one yet. I have one scheduled to come actually back to back with the WRX in about a month. So that'd be interesting. Uh, and, and I think that you know the GTI manual might be even better than what's uh, an offer in the outgoing Subaru. But it's still just really engaging to drive. It's just it's just a blast. And then um, you know you would you would think that putting those dampers on the uh, on the premium or limited trim would give the give the enthusiast something to play with. I, I don't understand why it's only uh, on the trim with automatic. I just don't. Yeah, I think some there's some packaging choices that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, and there's some styling stuff that I didn't like, but all the, the cars are always ugly when they come out, and then eventually you're like, oh, you know, it wasn't that ugly, like four years later, when they change <laughs> it to something else you don't like. <laughs> you get desensitized to it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you, too, that I, I actually walked by the car at the Chicago Auto Show two weeks ago, and it was... In person, not quite as ugly. The cladding is a little less offensive. It's still okay. not. It's still not a looker by any stretch of imagination, but it's it, it looks better in person. It does in pictures. Although, if you're looking if you're looking at cars in that class purely on looks, you're not really worried about how they drive or with features or with price. It's not the best looking car in that class. I, I think the the Honda Civic Si or the GTI or even the um, what is it? The uh, the Elantra N-Line, I believe, has a manual. Those are better looking vehicles, in my opinion. The Subaru has always been kind of the ugly duckling that's fun to drive. Yeah, it's not. Um, I mean, even like when the, the bug eyes were out, like I think the reason it appealed to people was just because it was so different, not because yeah. it was, you know, I, I don't think I ever like saw a Subaru and was like, ooh, what a good looking car. You're like, oh, it's a WRX. And you just liked it because you knew <laughs> what it was. You knew what's under there, right? Yeah. It's like the like, enforcer on the hockey team. I mean, he's. He's a bit lumpy, but he gets the job done yeah. quite well. That's, a That's great right. I can't, think of, I can't think of any sexy-looking Subaru from the past, you know, five, ten years. Uh, the best they do is is handsomely bland with the, uh, with, you know, with the legacy. That's about as good as they get. It's working for him for sales, though. All right. That wraps our second segment here on the Truth About Cars podcast. We will be right back. You go back in time and talk about the best cars from 30 years ago, 1992. And we're back on the T Tech podcast, The Truth About Cars. I'm, I'm Tim Healy, the managing editor. 
along with Matt Posky and Matthew Guy, our news team. We are talking about all sorts of things in the world of automotive. We spent the first segment of this podcast talking news in the the Edmonds study that showed that 82% of new car buyers had paid over MSRP for their vehicles recently. And then we've moved on to the last segment where we talked about the 2022 WR, Subaru WRX and how we'd spec it out if we were going to put our money down and buy one. And we're going to end up with a quick trip down memory lane back 30 years to 1992 and what we think are the best cars of that era. Each of us has picked two cars that we, that we, um, kind of grew up around we're all sort of in that same age range so we sort of all kind of you know have fond memories in 92 and uh, I'll start here with saying that I kind of had two in mind and they, these two cars were actually competitors with one another I grew up around a lot of Ford Tauruses and a lot of Honda Accords and those two cars to this day sort of remind me of of that of that era and I if I had endless money and there was a whole bevy of cars from 92 that were in good shape at auction I, i'd be looking for either a taurus or a cord now now to be clear with the taurus i'm a little bit skewed there because of the sho version which makes the 92 taurus a whole hell of a lot cooler i think it was just if it was only a family sedan it might not be quite as high in my list in my memory banks but the manual transmission yamaha engine SHO was so much fun. I don't know if I've ever had a chance to drive one. I know I've been around a few growing up. They were just amazing cars. And then moving on to the Accord, uh, you know, what can you what can you say? This was the era before crossovers, and minivans were popular, but had already kind of become uncool by that point. So you're looking at family sedans, and you know, what's the best one? The Camry was kind of boring. Whereas the Accord was sort of fun to drive and looked a little cooler, looked a little sleeker but still, still had all the utilitarian features that you'd expect from a family sedan. My next door neighbors had one. I always kind of liked looking at it out the window. It looked good for, for the for the time. And definitely turned my head more than the uh, Camry ever did. So what about you guys? That's probably the best era, like, styling for Honda. Like, I really like that, like, angular, sort of simplified styling. I mean, the Cord has it, too. I mean, you could argue that maybe Honda was sort of aping... <laughs> Or aping the uh, the Taurus's style, um, but uh, yeah, you see them everywhere. Like it's all over the place. Like I, I think I said the that anytime I watch like an early '90s television show, it's wild the number of like Accords a, a and, and especially Ford Tauruses that are in the back in the background. Mm-hmm. Like X Files, I think I said uh, last time we were talking about this. <laughs> that, like that's the only car that they rent for like the first four seasons of that show. You're right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I, I, I was really big into like Japanese cars kind of coming up, like, you know, the fast and the furious movies had just come out, like when I started, uh, getting into driving and, um, the one I always wanted, I I always wanted a Nissan Sentra SCR specifically from Mm -hmm. like the early nineties, like 1992. Yeah. Um, they were just like, sort of, you know, they were kind of like sleepers. They're real unassuming, real quick and nimble. I think I read an article in uh, I think it was Sport Compact magazine where they took a Nissan Sentra that someone wanted to you know turn into a uh, like an eighth mile uh, dragster for no money. So they just started ripping the doors off and stuff and <laughs> just ripping stuff out of the car. And I just I, I don't know. I just have like a lot of fond memories of that car. Like I know that it only made like 140 horsepower. Uh and it wasn't really like a super fast car, but it was so lightweight. It was so kind of just yeah. bare bones. Like everybody I, who owned one seemed to really love them. And like, it was just, I don't know. Like, I feel that way. I feel like about the Sentra um, SER, the way a lot of people talk about like the Countach, you know, <laughs> like I never right. got to spend any time with one. Uh, you know, you see them sometimes, but I always coveted uh, the car and um my other, I actually owned, I had a, an Eagle Talent uh, TSI, and uh, it was a real piece of crap, but I, I loved that car. <laughs> Especially the interior. Like, um, I wanted the pop-up headlights, but I, I never found one in halfway decent con- condition. So I got the 92. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love the interior because it had that sort of like cockpit, you know, where like everything was pointed at the driver and everyone else in the car got nothing. There was nothing for anyone else in the car to do. 
and all and things were on an angle all of the controls and yeah. stuff like the hvac the hvac system was on a, was slanted down and jutted out toward the driver yeah but yeah it was, it was guy, what about you oh sorry mac go ahead i was just saying it, it was it was a good car like i always wanted the all-wheel drive but you know it was uh i mean they, they said it was a two liter but i think it was like a 1.9 like like you know one nine nine five or something like that cc yeah. um, yours was the esi you said the TSI, the front wheel well, drive. You're TSI, I'm sorry. Yeah, front wheel drive <laughs> turbocharged, which uh, I, the reason it sucked so bad was I was like, oh, I can, I, this is a car I can modify. So, of course, I did the cold air intake. I, I bought a you know, 16G turbocharger. But of course. And the car immediately started having problems. <laughs> so, I just was like, oh, I got to put this back to stock. And I just drove it around and it, it, it ran. And then I sold it for you know, a few years later for a little less than I, I paid for it. So, it was a good car to me. But um, I think whoever got it next probably didn't spend a lot of time with it they said they were gonna it was a project car and i was like well it's gonna be one hell of a project yeah. dude why do we do that as gearheads we think we know better than the engineers who spend years and millions of dollars on these cars i'm going to improve this by adding a blank and then we end up screwing it up i mean i i can i i'm gonna blame <laughs> being like young and not knowing better but that you too. also want it to sound cool you know like i i don't know it, that was like really early in like my car owning history so I made a lot of mistakes, you know, there was a lot of issues with the car that, you know, I didn't really identify, like, I mean, at that time, like, I didn't even understand, like, I had, I was buying internal components, and it needed new tires, like, those were the kinds yes. of decisions I was making at the time. <laughs> well, <I'm> there. <laughs> and my, I agree, and my pick, I've done all those things, too, but my, my pick for 92, um, Y'all remember the Le when the Lexus SC 400 first came mm. out, and and we all know what it morphed into later in the 2000s that 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 convertible. But when it first came out in 1992, that shape with those extra two round headlights on the front, it had the one UZ four liter in it, mm -hmm. and all of the reviews off the time. I mean, it was just rear drive V8 powered, and I think, and I'm I'm correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure someone will from TTAC readership, and that's totally cool, that the engine was actually technically front mid-engine because it was behind the that the the, the front wheels. I, I didn't know that. I don't think I knew that. Either. And I think that's why it was one of the reasons it was so well regarded um, by reviewers of the day. But if you can think about anyone who's listening who grew up in a rural area like I did, you, that well, that was dominated by rusty pickup trucks mm -hmm. and uh, small compact cars. That thing looked like a spaceship to me as a twelve-year-old reading Car and Driver in nineteen ninety-two. So that's 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 my pick for for that year for that model year for sure. And then afterwards, you know, you could get the V six in that with the manual transmission. It was like a Supra, for lack of a better term. I was about to add that. Is there a, we Matt and I both picked two, so we're going to give you a second pick as well. Is there a second vehicle you'd pick from 1992? That year, that was the year they changed the Honda Prelude as well. Ooh, the Prelude, right? Ooh, yeah. And from it went from the pop-up headlights to the you know the, the the fixed headlights. The interior was different. It was like it was stretched out in a linear fashion. And if you've ever driven one, um, you'll notice that the gas gauge is closer. A digital one closer to the almost closer to the passenger than to the driver right so they took they took some chances with the design which was kind of cool and kind of strange for honda at the time they were pretty um staid i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right or not but they were pretty predictable with their styling up until a certain point and then they took a few chances there with 92 so yeah you had a 2.3 liter making 160 great. horsepower um just a little bit more than your um than your centra ser but it also weighed about 300 pounds more than the SCR. So. And that was sort of like the, uh, it was sort of implied that it was a little bit more luxurious, right? The Prelude. I never, I never time, drove yeah. one around, but they were, all, I always thought they looked great, especially the taillights. I love those, those long uh, dual colored taillights. For real. Absolutely. They had that kind of straight up and down, like you said, dual color with the ambers in them. It just looks so good. It definitely changed the personality, I think, from, I don't know, plain, va plain vanilla to a, dash of cayenne pepper or something like that <laughs> yeah they, there was a little a, bit of luxury in 92 there was a guy like i don't i don't think i ever even noticed the prelude before but yeah there was a guy in, in my hometown that he had one a black one yeah. and he cruised through the neighborhood you know at night and I, I remember being like that is the coolest looking car and it, 
you know, I wasn't like the prelude was super high end or anything, but nope. you know, being from, you know, Michigan, anything that wasn't domestic was kind of like taboo. <laughs> so you're just like, Ooh, <laughs> like I got in trouble for being a Mopar fan in my family. So <laughs> what a rebel. Jeez. Yeah. I was way outside the box. <laughs> even make preludes in any color except for red white and black i think they made yellow ones just like the integra oh, okay yeah i, I mean maybe not that year I'm, I'm just guessing but if it's 92 i'm gonna guess there was a teal in there somewhere oh i'm sure they did i was being a little bit facetious but every prelude i've ever seen oh yeah okay i got you white or <laughs> um i'm looking it up right now so you could get uh blue pearl uh there's two different blues there was green, you could get green metallic, and then yeah, it was just black, white, and red. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so those blue and green cars didn't sell too uh, too highly things. I just yeah, they no must have not done so well. Years. There was a gentleman in my building who had a, prelude, a red prelude until recently. I believe he sold it. It was in pretty good shape. Had a little bit of uh, body wear and tear, but it, it definitely was. It, it's just seeing it every day. It was just you know, seeing it every day in the two thousand and whatever you call this decade was. Uh, pretty cool to see it, you know, still still on the road. And I hope it, I hope whoever bought it is taking good care of it. Yeah, it's interesting that we've all spoken highly about two door coupes, huh? And that's a that's a body style that is not prevalent today. But no, that's I why mean... I that that's why I, I grip my teeth when people complain that you know the GT eighty six doesn't have enough horsepower or whatever. And I'm like, dude, like it's it's a two door, a fairly affordable, fairly lightweight coupe. I'm glad yeah. it exists in any form. There aren't, there aren't many. There aren't many two-door coupes, and a lot of them now are, you know, either either muscle cars or supercars. I mean, how many? There aren't many affordable two-door coupes anymore. Uh, right. Whether you're talking about performance cars, GT86, or a two-door version of a sedan like the, you know, the Accord Coupe, which existed until a few years ago. Yeah. Um, it's just not a popular body style. I mean, obviously the Mustang and Camaro still exist and Challenger and Camaro will be kind of, it's kind of in death throws, but you're always going to have Corvettes and, and GTRs and all the kind of stuff that Toyota Supra, those kind of expensive $50,000 and up, uh, you know, cars all the way up to Acura MSX, which is, you know, 160 grand or whatever. But, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of sad to see that the, uh, like you said, the GT86 is the world. There just, there just isn't that affordable performance sport coupe anymore. And and like I said, there's no there's no longer the you know there used to be an Ultima coupe, there used to be a Honda Accord coupe, and they were they weren't pure performance cars, but they were performance bargains. And now you don't have those anymore either. And I get it, you know, they weren't selling in huge numbers because who wants a two door coupe when you can have a four door Accord and it's easier to get your passengers in the back seat, especially if you have children. Totally understand that, but. You know, for those of us who either don't have young children or don't want to worry about it or can afford a third car, you know, whatever, those were bargain vehicles. Those those coupe Altimos, coupe Accords, and just a way to have fun on the cheap. And okay, yeah, you wouldn't be able to keep up with a Mustang, but it'd still be a lot of fun to drive. Yeah, and up until uh, very recently, the neighbor had a Hyundai Elantra two-door, if you remember that, like the most recent one that you oh, could get yeah. that they sold for about five seconds. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember that car, honestly. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, good for you for choosing something a little bit different, right? Yeah, I mean, that was sort of the era for that, like like two-door coupes, like uh, particularly like front-wheel drive stuff. Like you just, like the early to mid-90s, like that was ubiquitous. And like now it's borderline. Those cars almost don't exist anymore. <laughs> No, because you could get just about, you could get a lot of things in two. I mean, you had 300 ZX. You could get stuff like the Grand Am in two doors, right? Yeah, you could get the Lumina in two doors. I believe the two-door model for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, the time, I guess the times are changing. Uh, I, people don't have the, maybe they don't have the extra money to to get like a fun little car. But at the same time, like that's not really what these were for. Like these were primary vehicles for people that just happen to have a little, you know, fun bent to them. Yes, indeed. Yeah, or for people who didn't have kids yet, or their kids were grown, or whatever, you know, and they don't need, they didn't need to use the back seat very often. I think that that was the appeal. So nobody's just, having kids now. Like you see studies all the time that you know birth rates are at like an all time low. So I mean, it's got to be. I mean, maybe they're just not trendy anymore, like minivans, which are perfect vehicles that no one seems to like anymore. 
you bashed him at the start of the <laughs> the start well, of the podcast. Funny, I did bash him; it's not cool. But I, I've actually heard from some folks who have kind of come around, like, "Yeah, I thought it wasn't cool." Then I had a third kid, and I needed the, you know, I needed the space or whatever. <laughs> I've never had a kid, and I love them. I think that, right. <laughs> I think they make perfect sense. They're very fun, except for in a, a rear crash. But, um, but yeah, I always loved them. But yeah, they're just not trending anymore. Station wagons make a lot of sense too, but nobody other than people who like cars seem to like them. That, that's no, this was new around the cool for a certain generation, right? So then it becomes kind of, you know, Passe. I think with the, with the two door coupes, I think the reason they sort of fell off the face of the earth was they just they weren't there wasn't enough of a market for them, right? You know, if you have pets or kids or even adult passengers a lot, you're going to want four doors. And so I think there just wasn't enough people who were like, oh, I only need two doors and, and no one's really going to use the back seat ever. Or, or if it is, you know, maybe my toddler will go back there. So I just kind of feel like there wasn't enough of a market. And I think one thing we've seen over the years, is automakers have kind of come all about efficiency and, and less about fun, which is why crossovers have taken over the world because, you know, they're relatively safe. The fuel economy is better than, they, than OLED body and frame SUVs. They, they can do more car-like, all that stuff. They can share a platform. Which is why, so I think it's 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 kind of boring, but it's efficient. But we're losing some of the fun stuff of the uh, that the industry used to sell us. You know what else was new around 1992? Talking about two door coupes, the mm. Super that we haven't mentioned, the Subaru SVX. That oh, oddball, that oddball. And I haven't seen one in God knows how long. And I keep thinking about again as a kid. I was like, how do those windows work? <laughs> Yeah, I've always wondered that myself. In the SBX, right? The um, there was a guy who lived in when I lived in New York. Still, there was a guy in my neighborhood that had one. Okay, and I would leave no, I would leave notes on the on his window to be like, "Call me, I'm, I want to ask about your car." I never, <laughs> I never heard from him. That's awesome. I love, I love that you do that because I mean, I'm sure I've done it, and, and our listeners have done it too. If you want to buy something or if you just want to ask someone a question, just leave a, leave a note under the windshield wiper. I, I have like uh, business cards that, you know, just have my Do name you? and number. Yeah, they just, literally just for that. Be like, hey, like, <laughs> this is for you, like, <laughs> under your windshield. Like, let me know about your car. Email me. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. I, sh- I should invest 10 bucks in a few cards. You know what? It doesn't really work. It almost never works. Yeah, but, the, but, but the one time it does, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to spend I got to spend a weekend with a guy's uh, SVD contour uh, a couple years ago. It worked that really? time. Yeah, that's was... another car I'd love to uh, to own. Um, my mom had a Sierra from that. She had an '88. My dad had a '90 Silverado. Later, those are good trucks. You still Ooh. see those on the road all the time. Yeah, well, I, I still don't know about where you live, but in Michigan now, you always do. Mm-hmm. I see some, not as much because they they had some rust issues. Oh, they're all trucks. I remember seeing one. Good. God, what was his name? One boys from home, anyways. I can't remember who had. I can't remember which one had it. Anyways, and uh, we looked out one one night, and there was a snowstorm going on, and the side of the truck, of the box of the truck, was flapping in the wind because <laughs> it had all disintegrated along the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those those trucks they sold it. Shitload of them, and Matt, you're right. Last time I was in Detroit, I saw a fair amount of them. Yeah, it, it's funny because, like, in everywhere else, you see like you know a healthy mix. Like certain places will have more imports than others, and then you go to Michigan, and it's it's wild how um how much uh, domestic product you see. You know, like everything's wow. everything's from you know the United States and Canada. Like, it, we, we, you know, you see other stuff like if you're in a in nicer neighborhood or something like that. But then you'll go towards like Flint and then all of a sudden you'll just, you'll start seeing like 35 year old Buicks everywhere. <laughs> That's what I noticed when I lived there. When I lived in Midland, it was all like American cars and a lot of them were older. Even yep. Then. Yeah. You see a and lot of them. When, when I go to Detroit, if I'm in Ann Arbor or like, depends on where I'm in Detroit, but I'm like in Ann Arbor or even Dearborn or like the city, it's a pretty good mix of import in America, especially nowadays. So, so many cars that are like imports that are built in America, right? Like the Accords built in Ohio. But like you, you go a little further out, or you go towards like Matt said, towards Flint, and you start seeing a lot more domestic stuff and a lot of older stuff. Yeah, you'll see like like uh, pocketed area anywhere there was factories. Like you just see pocketed exactly. areas of people who still are driving, you know, whatever whatever factory was there, like one of their products. 
Yeah, because like when I was in Flint last uh, last spring for what the hell were we driving? I was in Flint area for something. I forget what we were driving, and um, I think it was the Nissan Pathfinder drive. And like I remember, like the hotel was at the kind of outskirts of Flint, uh, off off of I seventy five, and there was just like a, a ton of older CK trucks and Buicks, and some are like. Some are only a few years old, maybe three, four, five years old, like not that old. And others were like 10 or 15. Definitely almost all General Motors stuff in, in the past 15, 20 years. Yep. And then, you know, speaking of other cars from 92 that we haven't talked about, those who know me would be surprised I mentioned the Fox Body Mustang. But the thing is, I would probably go a couple of years older on a Fox Body. Free airbags. And nothing against airbags, but the, but the steering wheel uh and, and the later cars which is kind of ugly and also the body cladding in those later gts added weight and slowed the car down uh i, I don't have a problem with how it looks but some people do but i'd probably go with what i had in college like a late 80s lx so i think much as i love the fox body mustang i think i'd go 87 88 for that car um so that's why i didn't pick that there's a couple other vehicles that i was thinking about too the f-150 the ubiquitous f-150 was you know, big in the nineties, just as it is today. Sometimes things never change. Right. You also saw like a lot, like we had an S10 for a while and it seemed like those were all over the place in the early nineties too. Yes. S10s and Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Rangers, a lot of purple, specifically purple Rangers. I forgot about that purple color. I feel like that's all, that's all I want. You never see them in any of the colors except purple. called like purple splash or something. Yeah. With a little splash logo on the side. Yeah. Sparkly purple. I knew like five people that had that truck. Yes, had that exact same truck, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know why people are optioning like purple splash versions, but yeah, I don't know if they accidentally made a bunch or maybe the factory just got like way too much of that paint and they're like, well, we gotta sell, we gotta sell all these. We're gonna use this. What are we gonna do? That's a good topic for a future T-Tech. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is what colors and what trims should be brought back oh yeah and that purple that ford had didn't that paint job or a similar shade also exist on the car that all of a sudden popped in my head and i don't remember what it was in 92 specifically but the ford probe seemed like every one of those i ever saw was purple that's Mm. a good point because they changed the ranger in 93 or 94 and then yeah you're right they changed the probe in 92 and it did have that purple that was everywhere. You're right. Yeah, seemingly was everywhere the, where I live. Was it the same purple as the, the Ranger? Or was I, I, I thought I remembered like sort of like a maroon, like one of those weird, you know, those early 90s sort of <laughs> yeah, muted, maroon, muted wow. jewel tones. Yeah, I'd have to take a deep dive into Ford paint colors, which is not how I intend to spend my afternoon today. But I, I don't know <laughs> if it's the same purple or not. But uh it definitely looks the same to the naked eye. It might not be the same because, as you guys know, sometimes paint shades can look very similar but not be exactly the same. Right. That's fair. And you worked, uh, I mean, you were you in parts, Tim, and back in another lifetime? No, I was a dealership uh, service guy. But you were never service, right. Uh, I was a service, my first service job as a porter in high school so detailing cars washing cars bringing them up to the front when people picked them up and getting their their work done uh, and i was what they call a service greeter for a little while where basically my job was along with another person sort of manage the flow of the service drive because our dealership right. offered free car washes so we had to sort of sort the car wash people from those who were coming in for work and then try and steer those who need to work to be right service advisor which translation meant either the guy who hadn't sold enough that month or mm-hmm. a guy who was maybe a specialist in a certain thing. You know, maybe one guy was really good at whatever, engine repair or whatever. Yeah. So that was kind of the uh, kind of the, the job. Then I was a service writer briefly, uh, not particularly good at it because the upselling part was just not a good fit for me. Uh, and, I, and I had kind of, I don't want to make this a long story because I, I do plan on writing about it for TTAC in the future, but I had kind of come in with this idea that it would be, I had started a luxury brand and it's a very soft sell there, the luxury brand. You take care of the customer, you treat them well, and they, the expectation is they'll buy from you. And, you know, you don't push them too hard on upsells. And I went to a mainstream dealer where it was kind of the other way. And it was yeah. really hard to be pushy and almost to the point of 
I, nothing was shady or illegal, but it definitely was not comfortable. Okay. But it definitely was an interesting two and a half, three years of my life. Bright Calypso Metallic, Matt, was that Thank teal. you. Thank you. <laughs> Such that a good name. That's the best names for paint colors. It'll be black yeah. and it'll be like Midnight Swirl Frost <laughs> Metallic. And you'll be like, it's black. Ford used to have stuff like again. Wild Strawberry Metallic and Bimini Blue. And yeah. Good stuff. Well, we'll leave, we'll end that on that note. That's a great way to end this. So, folks, this is our first episode of the GTAC podcast. So, bear with us as we get a little bit better over time. But each each week, we should be doing a format just like this, where we'll maybe hitting one news topic and then maybe talking about a current product or something like that, like we do with the Super WRX, and then finally going back down memory lane. We're talking about something really esoteric, like paint colors or life in the service lane or life as a dealer employee or well, whatever, something, anything that's kind of just crazy and unique and a little bit different from whatever else is doing. Well, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. My name is Tim Healy. I'm the managing editor of T-Tech. T-Tech.com, also thetruthaboutcars.com. I'm here with Matt Posky and Matthew Guy, our news team. And we will uh, we'll see you guys on the flip side. Thanks for listening. You guys hear my cat throw up i heard something i just heard a buzz <laughs> yeah there's some sort of like cell interference like i'm hearing on the the line but um my phone is like a million feet away so hopefully it's not that but yeah my cat threw up while i was recording and i didn't know what to do i was like oh no i guess i have to just let her go i guess i guess just both <laughs> i mean i didn't even hear it i need <laughs> cats are always like i prepare the finest carpet i need to vomit yeah she was it's... sleeping all morning and then right when I we started recording, she started walking around, and I was like, all right, what's going on? And then that's what she decided to do. And now she's, she's laying down again. <laughs> <laughs>